Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? So I would say uh, it's Cabbage Patch Kids. And I, I remember my parents tell me this story um, that my poor grandfather would come with my grandmother for two weeks around Christmas. And it was the, every, the toy every kid wanted. You know, everybody was excited. That was the only thing I wanted for Christmas. And they sent my poor grandfather to Kmart to pick a Cabbage Patch Kid doll. He didn't understand what his kid do. So he goes to the store and he almost got trampled. And what an associate in the store was like, follow me. And she took him to the back room and gave him one of the dolls. And of course, I had very specific things that I wanted in my doll. And I didn't get that specific of a doll. But he was like, I almost got trampled. Thank goodness this lady gave me one from the back room. And I actually still remember the name of, of my doll. And it was just a phenomenon as a marketer imagine the buzz and being a part of that, like that word of mouth and that enthusiasm and what appeared to be a shortage and that limited edition vibe was now in hindsight magic. So what was the name of your doll? Jacinda Calabrese. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. Very sophisticated. No, and I, I remember the phenomenon very well. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Sarah Turbo, the EVP and chief marketing officer of Express, a dual gender apparel and accessories brand with 500 retail locations in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Annual sales are in the $1.7 billion range. Express has a fast-growing e-commerce business with a goal to reach $1 billion in sales by 2024. They are on track. Sarah has worked in the fashion business for nearly 20 years. 12 of those with Victoria's Secret, rising to become EVP of marketing. Sarah left Victoria's Secret to become CMO at the tween brand Justice before becoming CMO at Express in September 2019. Express has been the quintessential shopping mall brand for most of its 42-year history. The brand is putting that image and legacy behind it. Sarah and team are doing a total makeover of Express without forgetting where they came from. We'll hear all about that and more. This is my conversation with Sarah Turbo. Sarah, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You have had quite a career in fashion and retail, and you have never left central Ohio. So was that intentional on your part or did this just kind of happen that way? It actually goes farther back than just my career. What's crazy is I tell everybody I lived in Cincinnati and then I moved to Cleveland when I was in third grade. And then I made it all the way to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio for college. 
and then made it to Columbus. So I have done a full tour of every corner of Ohio <laughs> across my life. And absolutely not. I, I had no plans of staying in the Midwest or Ohio uh, for my career. But one thing has led to another. Next thing, you know, it's two decades later. You you should be the Ohio poster child, right? You should you should be used <laughs> in the Ohio campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> What, what took your family around Ohio so much? Well, it's interesting. My dad was in the mattress company um, and uh, with Sealy. He worked for a long time and he was um, kind of in uh, retail and he um, worked in the sales uh, uh, facet of that in Cleveland for a very long time. So he, um, you know, ended up planning our roots there. And then he ended up moving to North Carolina where um, they have the furniture market there. So he's been there about 20 years. But Really, it was my dad's job, and my mom was a teacher, so we just uh, went where he went. Yeah, I get that. Now, you, as you said, you went to Ohio University, you studied journalism with a business minor, and ultimately joined Victoria's Secret for 12 years, the longest by far you have been at a company in your still young career. That's a really famous, interesting brand, and you were on that brand for 12 years. What did you learn there about brand building? and about leadership working on that brand? It was um, such an exciting time to join Victoria's Secret. Um, it's interesting because I was trying to find a job in corporate PR coming out of Ohio University. And one of my uh, professors at the time knew somebody there. And he said, why don't you call her and see if she can help you find a job? I was scared of her because she was actually older than me in the sorority. And she was one of the ladies who helped with our pledge oh week. Oh so I was actually hearing her voice and I was sort of afraid to call her. Um, but I took a leap of faith and uh, she said, we're looking for an intern. So it's interesting because my parents were like, come home, you know, find a real job. You know, you need insurance. And I thought, well, I'll take this six month internship and see where it leads. Um, and I wanted to be closer to OU. I had friends in Columbus and I didn't want to move back home as most don't right after college. So I thought I'll put clipbooks together. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll work, you know, as hard as I need to, to try to keep this internship going. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And then one thing led to another. And it actually was 18 years that I was with L Brands. So 12 of them were with Victoria's Secret. And then six of them or seven of them were with the pink brand. Um, when Pink was growing um, as a small business within a bigger business. But I will tell you, when I joined Victoria's Secret, uh, the world was very different, actually. We were just getting ready to launch a dot-com, as crazy as that sounds. And um, the brand was growing, opening stores. It had huge market share, international appeal. And for me, it was all about just being a sponge and learning from the best in the business. You know, Les Wexner and how he drove market share and brand and customer experience in a very competitive market ownership way for me was just an amazing place to grow up in the public relations and marketing space. So it was a great learning opportunity. How did you as a leader change in those 19 years? Obviously, you joined as a very, very young woman, but how, how were you a different leader coming out of that experience and going into Express? I would say that, um, you know, I was obviously very young. I was anxious. I was nervous. Um, I lived in fear of losing my job. Funny story on that, about maybe a year into my uh, job there, we were putting together clipbooks um, and highlighting and collating all the mentions of Victoria's Secret in off hours because people wanted to use the printers during regular business hours. And I took a lot of pride in putting those together. And 
uh, we would distribute those to all of the different executives. And I'll never forget, there was an intern in myself because I had been promoted to an assistant and we would work together on this. And we got a note back from one of the executives that said, who does this? What a waste of time. Nobody's reading it. Please stop immediately. And I thought, oh, no, I don't have a job. What am I going to do? So I was always, you know, I was watching executives come and go and it was a very competitive environment. So I was nervous, but that fear also drove me. And I wanted to work really hard and I wanted to prove my worth and I wanted to keep creating space, uh, an opportunity for me to grow. So over the years, you know, I started to learn more and I started to feel more confident in my understanding of the brand and the customer and how to make an impact and drive business results. So with each year and each opportunity, the business was growing so rapidly at the time. Uh, We were under a billion dollars at the time. And so, you know, we were racing to a billion and then we were racing to two billion. We were launching a website. Uh, we were creating, you know, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show that was on TV. So through all of that, I I learned how to build teams. I learned what was I most passionate about, and how do I continue to grow my career? So I changed tremendously over the years um, as a leader, and over time, um, just grew in my confidence level and my ability to make an impact on the business and the brand. You you saw Victoria's Secret through lots of phases. What's the most powerful lesson that you took from that experience on Victoria's Secret and Pink, frankly, that you're applying in your work on Express now? Probably, you know, sadly, more towards the end, um, Victoria's Secret got very big. Um, And um, there was a lot of, uh, I would say, internal competition and uh, different motives occurring. And the world was changing. And people were coming, you know, for market share, and they were connecting with customers in new and innovative ways. And the brand had such an amazing ride and such an amazing uh, way about it for so long that making a change was scary. And it was uh, not something that I think some people were comfortable with. Others were very anxious to move. Um, And I will say that uh, the brand didn't move fast enough, in my opinion, uh, to, to change and evolve with the customer mindset and what's important and what resonates. Um, and so I would say transitioning to Express, um, you know, Express actually went through a very similar situation. It's a 40-year-old brand. Um, they had a very good run, and then they hit some turmoil and how they marketed, what their product assortment strategy was, what their real estate strat- strategy was. And so with I could apply what I would say Victoria's Secret didn't do fast enough to express to say, how do we evolve? How do we rebuild our brand positioning? How do we connect with customers in more innovative ways, which has been just a, an amazing opportunity. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. You went from Victoria's Secret and Pink to Justice and then to Express. What compelled you to move to Express? What was it about the team, the culture, the brand that really compelled you to, to make the switch? 
I would say that it kind of goes back to when I was at Pink. So when I transitioned from public relations with Victoria's Secret brand to Pink, Pink was this little brand inside. It was a couple hundred million dollars at the time, and it was rapidly growing. And at the time, uh, Les Wexner said, I want to do this differently. I don't want it to be like Victoria's Secret. I don't want it to be traditional in its marketing approach. The glitzy, you know, glamorous runway show and direct mail and, and TV commercials. I just want, you know, cool girls on college campuses talking about the brand. And therefore, he didn't want a traditional marketer building out the pink marketing structure or how we activate. So through that opportunity, I was so lucky uh, to be given. I didn't know much about traditional marketing. Therefore, I approached it with a completely open mindset. And how do we want to connect with college students through the internet? And uh, actually, the dot-com business owner said at the time they didn't want any editorial content on their website because it wasn't relevant and didn't drive sales. And Facebook was an EDU at the time, but we knew our customers were there. So we were just finding our way, building websites and SMS groups and events on college campuses. And all of that um, was really formative for me and innovation, how you can reach out and try new things and take risks because we were protected by the Victoria's Secret business. And they were driving a huge amount of traffic and driving a lot of sales so we could step out and, and try some innovative things. You know, through all of that, um, I've learned that, you know, that is important for brands to stay relevant. Um, it's important to stay connected with customers and where they're headed and what they're doing and having fun with fashion. You know, we have a new floor set every month. So there's new product and new reasons to tell stories and new reasons to drive customers into the business. So I was able to, to learn a lot through that. And we grew tremendously, Pink did within Victoria's Secret. And then I transitioned back to Victoria's Secret in my last run. And I learned a lot about how to coordinate a big team and drive a big budget and work with several presidents and some of those things, which was amazing from an operational perspective for me to learn and grow. But as I started to reflect on my 18-year run there, I really wanted to try something different and uh, try to see if I could be successful outside of the L Brands framework and structure. And Justice had just gone through a major lawsuit, was looking for a brand transformation, it was a completely different challenge. But I thought, can I apply you know, some of the things I learned from a big business and big brand to um, a turnaround, which is a completely different challenge. And so we worked uh, on that at Justice. I was very proud of the work we did there. Uh, the tween girl can't be cuter or more fun to connect with as a brand. And I had so much fun doing that. I was there about four years that when Express called uh, and said they're looking to transform the brand, uh, they really want to connect with customers in new and innovative ways. It's a legacy brand and it had its own challenges, but they were a brand of the now for a very long time. Can you come help reinvigorate um, our brand strategy and our marketing strategy? And I had so much fun doing it with Pink and Justice that I thought this is a great opportunity to join Express. And I will say the leadership team here and our CEO is, they're just incredible. They're so much fun to work with. They're really smart. We have a highly collaborative team. Um, it is fashion. And so, you know, how could, how could you uh, not have fun coming to work every day? You've been there about two and a half years as CMO. You're in the midst of this big brand reimagining, which you've just referenced. 
and it seems to be working. The last few quarters are very encouraging. So could you, this is a kind of a big, big question, but I think we'll break it down. Could you tell us the story of this brand reimagining, starting with how did you start? Why did you determine it was necessary? Because doing the kind of work you're doing to renew a brand is big. It's not for the faint of heart. It has its ups and downs. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. tell us tell us the story of how it started and what's driving what seems to be encouraging results. So um, like I mentioned, it is a 40-year-old brand. It actually used to be a part of limited brands or L brands. So it was also part of the big conglomerate um, that I worked with Victoria's Secret. So some of that legacy thinking worked here. And it really was a brand of the now, we like to say. They were known for fashion. Customers trusted them. And we had a very good long run, run as a company. And it was actually, I, I would sometimes say, it was the clothing version of Victoria's Secret, right? There were supermodels and NBA players, high fashion, you know, that sort of aesthetic. And as time went on more recently, um, the brand lost its way a little bit, I would say. and some of the activations and marketing tactics were a little stale, as well as the assortment strategy and the product that we were offering. It got a little commodity and it lost its fashion appeal. And that's also uh, not very good for business. <laughs> so you go into a store and you just felt like it was a sea of blouses or a sea of button down shirts and ties. And that doesn't evoke the same emotional connection. Uh, so our CEO, you know, established um, what he calls the expressway forward strategy. And with that, he felt very um, focused on putting product first and really making our product the best it could be. Because without that, we all know marketing will only work so hard for you. Uh, we can drive the traffic. We can look to connect with customers. But if you don't have a great product to share, it falls short and ultimately won't lead to, to the business results. So the idea was, how do we go from being a store in a mall, which is, if you ask most people, they're like, do you know Express? Have you heard of Express? They're like, oh, yeah, I used to shop there. Or, yeah, that's the store in the mall. You know, you're like, OK, yes. <laughs> but the brand didn't have a purpose. It didn't have a deeper connection. And we all know that that's the most important thing in driving, you know, long term profitable growth and uh, being successful in the future. So the idea was, how do we go from being a store in a mall to a brand with a purpose powered by a styling community? And the idea of styling community is our associates, uh, both out in the field and here, but also we have tons of customers who are passionate about it, influencers, you name it, right? It's all part of our, our styling community. And how do we really embrace our full community and create confidence uh, through fashion? And uh, for me, uh, that's a great grounding point and gets me excited. How do, can I make people feel more confident? And how can I have, help them self-express through fashion? And so uh, Tim describes it as EXPR is our strategy. He's our CEO. And it's also our, our ticker symbol um, on the stock exchange. So it's a constant reminder of our commitment to drive growth as a brand and shareholder value. And the way it's articulated is E is engage customers and acquire new ones. X is execute with precision to accelerate sales and profitability. P is by putting product first. And then R is reinvigorating the brand. 
So those were sort of the key tentacles of the Expressway Forward strategy and a great grounding point for our organization going through a massive transformation. And so we created these four foundational pillars as a result of the XPR strategy, and that is product, brand, customer, and execution. And so product, I mentioned the importance of that, brand, what is our purpose, how do we show up in new and innovative ways, and the customer, how do we embrace the customer, bring the customer more to the forefront, stay relevant by staying more centered on our customer because we had lost that. And then execution, the quote we've been you know, using around here is vision without execution is hallucination, the Thomas Edison quote. So how do we take this beautiful strategy and purpose and ensure that we bring it to life successfully? So those have been our grounding pillars, and it really helps our team prioritize our key strategies and how we will uh, bring our transformation to life. So that was sort of how it all got started. And it came fast and furious. I started in September, um, about two and a half years ago. January, we rolled out our strategy. Uh, We restructured our team. We rebuilt all of our budgets. And we actually rebuilt our whole process and how we work together as a company. We rebuilt how we partner cross-functionally, how we uh, product story sell, we say, how we bring the product stories to life uh, through marketing campaigns and strategies. And we launched it in January and then COVID hit in March. So that was bad for our big kickoff and launch. Uh, it was a detour, as we like to say, on the expressway forward strategy. <laughs> if, you, if you want to call it that, it's yes, it's all tied to a theme. We like to brand everything here. Um, and we learned a lot through that too. And actually with that, we got a lot closer closer to our customer in different ways. And some of the ideas we had for how to activate and create content came organically by being at home and having to do things differently and all of that. But coming through the pandemic, if you want to say that we are, um, I think we are. I'm hopeful for this year. Um, I would say that based on what you were saying with our results, we feel good. We have some momentum. The strategies are resonating. And uh, now is our time to really get after it. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You talked about purpose several times in there, Sarah. Could you talk a bit about the role of purpose in this turnaround, how you arrived at the purpose you have, how you engaged all of your associates in that purpose so that they felt it was theirs and they knew what to do and they knew how to activate it. So could you, you know, go a bit deeper into the origin of the purpose? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, when I started here, a lot of work had been done in understanding our customer and understanding, um, you know, our history, making sure that we weren't going to be somebody else. We didn't need to go be somebody else. We needed to be us, but with a refreshed filter. So I studied a lot of that. And then the idea was actually generated um, and our purpose was articulated in partnership with our customers. We had some ideas of what we thought was right based on all the data and the quant qual research we did. But I thought, how do I be sure 
right? If we're going to put a stake in the ground, how do I know? And it's scary and you want to get it right. And so uh, what better way than to create a dialogue with our customers? So we worked with a, a partner to help create different groups of people, different ages, different genders, you know, all of the things and say, what do you think of this? And how does this feel? How does this land on you, both customers and non-customers? And through that, uh, we identified a much clearer articulation of who our customers are and what is important to them. And at the end of the day, our customers care about fashion. Uh, they, and actually, they believe clothes can serve a higher purpose and they care about what they put on. And so the idea of creating confidence came through with what we do and how we can actually provide a service. Uh, to our customers. We also learned, interestingly enough, I would have thought uh, ages would have skewed differently or different um, genders would have skewed differently. And actually, the idea spanned all ages, ethnicities, genders. The idea that they're unified by the spirit of optimism and go get them and they work and they're passionate about how they look and they care about fashion all came together. And our brand was known as a sexy brand. And, you know, that also is a tricky word, right? And the where, where the world is going and how people think about that and their definition of that. And as we were talking with customers about Express and their perception and what's important to them and what's their definition, the idea is confidence is the new sexy, right? So how do we organize around this idea of creating confidence for our customers, which is an evolution of who we are as a brand and what we were known for? And the idea that they want to express themselves through fashion. So hence the to create confidence and inspire self-expression as our purpose. What do you feel is going extremely well in the brand reimagining and what is not going so well? And what have you learned from that? I would say that um, what's going well is we have our organization fully aligned and galvanized around our purpose. and. It's so exciting. You can feel the energy of that. And that drives momentum. That kind of clarity, that kind of momentum, and the stories we're hearing now from customers, from being in stores, and, you know, for a marketer, that feeling and that adrenaline rush and, and the, the stories coming unsolicited, you know, like across everywhere is like, okay, we've got this. And so I'm very, very excited about the momentum. And I feel like, we have the right strategy, we have the right team, and we're moving. So that part, that's good. Within that, um, there's always areas where we can get better and move faster. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, I wish we could move faster on, but it's just the reality is refreshing our stores. You know, we're a legacy business. We have some great new stores that we've opened that are a much more proud reflection of our brand, but we also have a lot of stores out there that need refreshed and aren't a reflection of who we want to be and who we are. And that that's all part of the brand, right? Like when you go into a store and it's not refreshed or things aren't merchandised the right way or an interaction with an associate isn't what you want it to be, those things are brand negative, even if you're really pushing hard on, on the evolution of the brand. So uh, there, we're working very hard this year on, you know, refreshing and and um, making sure that every touch point 
and every interaction is a a true reflection of of who we are and who we want to be. Everyone who's listening to this podcast at some point in their career will work on a brand reimagining, a brand restage. You've worked on a few of them. This is the most recent. What are your top two or three leadership lessons that you would like our listeners to hear if they're about to embark on a initiative like you are you are leading right now, the brand reimagining? Sure, I would say. Um, clearly articulated goals are super important. Uh, the team wants to do a good job. They want to be a part of the future of the brand for the most part, and but they need something to galvanize around. So it's really important to get leadership alignment on those goals and a very art, clearly articulated strategy around those goals. That goes a very long way in grounding everybody. I would also say that. Uh, Collaboration and communication are key in a transformation. Uh, there's uh, no way to do this alone or as a single department. So we all needed to hold hands and be aligned um, and constant communication on what's working, what's not working, how do we evolve, um, you know, our projection or the product assortment or any of those things. And we share and work together. And then I would say it's also really important to have the team feel empowered to try things and they don't, they can't fail. You know, we're moving, let's learn, let's get out there. So I work really hard on, you know, uh, building trust with the team and how do I um, let them run so they don't get stuck in um, approval process or whatever it is. So um, I would say that, you know, in a transformation, you've got to step out and and be willing to try some things and be courageous. I just, I recorded recently an episode with the Clinique uh, Global President and with Google, with Lorraine Tuhill and Marvin Chow. That's exactly what they said. That's funny. <laughs> Let your people go, empower them to try things, listen to your employees. They have the best ideas. Let them go, build trust with them. You know, let them run with ideas. So there's a really, really powerful theme coming through here. So thanks for amplifying that a bit more, Sarah. That's great. Absolutely. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper into your role as CMO. And I want you to start with where do you spend your time? What is your personal focus as a CMO? I would say um, I, <laughs> the last couple of years aside with the pandemic, <laughs> More recently, um, I would say that I spend uh, as much time as I possibly can evaluating our strategy and what's working and what's not working and how can we continue to evolve thoughtfully and innovate around our strategy. Not a leap, not changing the pillars, not changing our objectives, but how do we ensure that we're innovating and testing and trying new things? Because in the fashion business, it's competitive. There's a lot of choices. And there are brands out there that are, have good product, right? So how do we differentiate? How do we innovate? How do we drive loyalty to our brand, um, which, is, which is an ongoing challenge? And so uh, I spend a lot of time with the team looking at uh, in different influences in the macro environment, different brands, listening to the customer and saying, are we hitting the mark with our strategies and how we activate and how we show up? And where do we need to do something different or better? So looking at the metrics um, and analyzing, it's the art and science of it all, um, as well as with retail, there's sort of a daily report card on your sales results. <laughs> so, uh, and what we need to do to hit our quarterly goals and, and such. So, 
you know, I spend more time than I probably like to admit on near-term optimization of the business in addition to, you know, how do we make sure we're staying relevant, relevant and innovating. Is there any magic that you've discovered in how you split your time to be sure you're working on the short term, which is really important, and preparing the company for what's around the corner? I would say, you know, maybe this is obvious, but I really do uh, spend time each week looking at my calendar and saying, do I have this right? And what's coming over the next few weeks? And am I aligning my time with what needs to be done? I, like I said, I trust my team. So do I, I don't need to be in every meeting. Run, go. I trust you. And so that has helped free up time. And uh, we do spend time as a leadership team, um, especially my merchant partner and I, really just talking and brainstorming and finding inspiration. And whether it's internal stories or external examples. And when I feel that fire, that adrenaline, that fire of like that could make a lot of sense, we then try to figure out how to organize and, and activate against whether it's a near term or longer term idea. So um, I would just say I really work hard on surrounding myself with the right amount of time with people that can help us innovate and ideate. And then obviously we have regular meetings on business. So making sure I'm there, I'm pacing and supporting decision making that as quickly as we can. What, what sorts of external examples are inspiring for you these days? Well, I would say TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it's I know it's amazing. Um, there's the the momentum and the power of, of that channel. And it's surpassing uh, pretty much every other social media channel. And, you know, people are engaging with it more than you can imagine. And I would say, you know, video and just in general, the idea used to be that we could do, you know, complex flats or static photos and just this idea of video. So I'm very interested in how brands and individuals are engaging and storytelling and, um, you know, those sorts of things. The one that comes to mind is Ocean Spray with their Fleetwood Mac mm -hmm. dreams. You know, certainly I look within the fashion industry, but it's well beyond that and what's driving consumer behavior. And so I also um, spend as much time as I can, you know, listening to different leaders and what's inspiring them and uh, customers. My goodness, like just listening to uh, their feedback um, and listening to the voice of customer, there's so much inspiration. And how do I help solve the problem they're having? And how do I create confidence, you know, through that? So uh, we spend a lot of time reviewing the voice of the customer and what we're hearing and and all of that. So that's where I find inspiration. It's a unique recipe, I guess. <laughs> now you're you're evolving your brand. I'm sure you're evolving your team as well. What do you feel is for you, for your team, the most important marketing capability? you need to build or strengthen as you look to the future? That's a good question. So first is agility. Um, there is no rest for the weary, <laughs> um, especially in the fashion retail world. Uh, there's no plan that we have that doesn't come with all kinds of different curveballs and key new learnings. And what does that mean for what we're doing tomorrow and beyond? So I'd say agility and building a process and a team that allows for that is going to be absolutely uh, critical. The other thing that um, sometimes can be very overwhelming, but is very powerful is data. And uh, we have a lot of it. <laughs> and I would say sometimes too much of it. And how do we evolve 
uh, the analysis of our data and simplify the data and, and build a narrative that people can grab onto and, and also activate more successfully um, against the key insights. Because uh, sometimes it's so specific to a channel or specific to a time horizon that you're missing the bigger ideas. And so for me, I'm very passionate this year about getting ourselves more advanced. We do a lot of great work, but I think there's an opportunity to almost simplify and, and evolve from there. So many uh, marketers have uh, challenges estab establishing credibility with their CEO and their peers and the leadership team. You don't seem to have that challenge in your role in your company. So could you talk a bit about how you have established credibility for yourself, for your team, with your CEO, with your C-suite counterparts, uh, you know, with, with everyone and even your board? Sure. I feel very lucky that I actually sit in a position where I'm a trusted resource and partner on the executive team. It started when brand and customer became two of the four pillars, right? So with that, it automatically gives you a seat at the table. Um, being responsible for identifying the brand purpose and ensuring that how we transform our marketing to drive relevancy was identified as a key priority. So that gives me a seat at the table. I actually, you know, thinking about it in the interview process in any job, if they said they weren't sure, you know, we're mar like marketing's role or they weren't interested in listening or funding it, I don't know, I'd be scared <laughs> if they were willing to listen. And felt like it was a huge opportunity, then by all means. But I do think, um, you know, some companies um, have struggled with where to put, put marketing in the space. But as the world's evolved, it is critical, you know, in driving the brand performance. So I would say that, you know, I guess it started with the right framework, um, which was fortunate and an important filter for the total company. But with that, I, I work very hard on staying connected with the leadership team. I work very hard on collaborating, listening, identifying the different areas of opportunities and within the PL and within our product assortment and ensure that I'm extremely connected to all of that. And that helps them build the trust with me that I'm picking up what they're dropping, so to speak, <laughs> and that I am actively going to take the ball and, uh, do my part. But, you know, the idea of how do you build trust by showing up, by listening, by sharing back. So I work hard on making sure where we have touch points in our go-to-market process where we share our strategies back and check in along the way. When it's a big idea, then we go into an activation mode where we share slightly more detail and we collect feedback along the way. And by the end, we're all aligned. And, you know, if something doesn't work, as I, you know, as planned, that's okay because everybody was on the journey. We tried, um, and there's no surprises. And I think that really does help build credibility um, and trust. You said when you started this to answer this question that it it starts with the framework of the company or the strategy of the company, and the customer and mm -hmm. the brand were two of the four pillars. Mm -hmm. Where did that conviction come from? I would say our CEO, uh, who is a wonderful, smart, strategic leader, um, felt that these were the four ingredients, right, to get us to success. And he studied the brand, he studied the business history, where we were winning and when we were losing, and felt that 
we have to do these things in order to be successful. It wasn't yet fully articulated how, like exactly what was our brand purpose? How will we build loyalty? But we knew we needed to. <laughs> and so, uh, because that is honestly the feedback we were getting. We were, our product wasn't selling. People were saying, oh, I used to shop Express. You know, if you just listen, those cues are out there. So then it's like, how do you organize the organization around those key things? Sarah, I want to move to the creative brief. And my first question is, what's the best thing about living near Columbus, Ohio? I would say maybe people know this, but maybe not. Columbus is actually a pretty great city with tons of retailers headquartered here. It's a young city because of Ohio State. Uh, it's it's reasonable to live here from a cost perspective. I would say that it's a wonderful place to raise a family. And a lot of people, because I used to go to New York almost every week for work, and I love New York. Um, they come here and they're like, wow, this isn't what I had expected about Ohio or Columbus. They picture farm country or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it surprises people um, when they come. So, you know, I think we just have to get more people here to give it a try. It is a surprising <laughs> city and it's actually a very fast growth yeah. city. If you look at the top yes. cities in the U.S. in terms of growth, Columbus is up there and there's a reason for that. Next question, the best advice Antonio Lucio has ever given you? And we probably should tell our audience who he is if they don't know. He's, you know, I've known him for many years. He started at Procter & Gamble. He's worked at HP, Visa, Facebook, a, a remarkable leader. And he's on your board. He is. He's new to our board. So I'm actually having my first in-person, believe it or not, onboarding with him in just a few weeks. So I've, I've not had a huge amount of interaction with him yet, but he did join one board meeting um, for a portion of it. And as an outcome of that, he said, how can I help? That's him. He said, I, I want to be more strategic as a board member. Let's just talk. Like, how can I help? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to uh, learn from and hear from somebody like him because his reputation is so amazing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting to know him better and, Say hello and getting for his me. help. <laughs> yes, I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life, Sarah? I would say, I, I know probably a lot of people say this, but it was my father. Um, he uh, is a very hardworking man, his whole career, very loyal to Sealy. He was there for 30 years and he worked so hard. And he would always say to me, you can do anything you put your mind to. And my last name is Turvo. And he would always say, he had a few expressions, but one of them was Turvo's are tenacious and tough. And you put those together. And the third one he always said is, you don't know until you ask. And, you know, I look back now at my career and I think he gave me um, the courage to dream and drive and not, you know, get too uh, deterred at different aspects of, of my life and my career. Um, and, you know, being a PR girl at Victoria's Secret to becoming a CMO without the traditional background, you know, that a lot of CMOs have, um, you know, it was a byproduct of him saying, you know, you don't know until you ask, go for it, be tenacious and tough. Where did he get his tenacity and toughness and work ethic? I would say he's a very prideful person and uh, one of the most honest, loyal people you'll meet. And so when he commits to something, that's it. And he's calm, cool, collected, and he would get that from his father. So my uh, grandfather was actually um, an engineer at the Mayo Clinic and worked there almost his whole career. Wow. 
And so there's just this sort of Finnish calm. I got a little bit more of the Irish from my mom. If I'm a blend, <laughs> but, but uh, anyway, I think it just, it, it's just part of his constitution. And he was a great role model uh, to us growing up and, and understanding the importance of working hard. Who's been the most influential business mentor in your career? Has it been your father or someone else? I would say there were several actually in my career that have been amazing at different phases. And you asked earlier about, you know, how I've grown as a leader. My first boss, uh, who was originally the director of PR Victoria's Secret, tried to give me more courage. And uh, she would make me read things out loud. I hated public speaking. I get a little bit nervous about making sure I say all the right things. And I would get hives because <laughs> I didn't like to do it. And she'd be staring at me. But she she saw the potential and she's like, get over yourself. Right. And things like that. And she empowered me to do my thing and didn't check in with me on everything. So I would say she was formative in those early years in helping me step out of my um, self-criticism because I'm always my own worst critic. And then I would say the other uh, uh, formative one was uh, Denise Lamon, who was the CEO of Pink, because she was willing to put me in a job um, as the head of marketing for Pink when some might say, why would you take a PR person and put them in a marketing job? Um, and she was like, nope, she's got it. She can, you know, she'll figure it out. And she trusted and gave me that opportunity, which was very, very fortunate um, for me. So how do you keep yourself creative and fresh for your work? Because you're in a very, very fast changing industry. I would say um, some of it is uh, about leaving the office and or stepping away from the computer because it's really easy to get stuck in the slacks and emails and text messages and the daily maintenance of the business. And there's always a lot of things going on. So I really try to, uh, when I feel myself, you know, if you have certain triggers or I, I, I go home or I go for a jog or I go to a yoga class. And I do find actually some of those uh, points of inspiration or those new ideas or how we can activate come when I'm not working. One of the funny stories on that is uh, with uh, Pink we had um, an opportunity to drive our business more at back to school. And the year prior had been tragic. Everybody was wounded <laughs> and we were a high performing group. So we were like, oh no. And I went to a yoga class um, one morning and I was like, nowadays, I think people do this all the time. But back then I was like, well, Black Friday is huge for us. Why don't we recreate something like that in July? And we did all the ingredients and, you know, the door busters and the PR buzz and all of that. And I was nervous. And actually, we opened the stores at midnight and we had lines of 100 people waiting for the pink product um, that was going to be coming out in July. And our CEO at the time called me and said, this is incredible. How did you, you know, and I thought, I just thought of it at yoga, <laughs> you know, but it's, it is true. it's just stuff yeah. like that. Your brain goes in a different mode. It does. Yes. What would you be doing if you were not in the fashion business? That's a good question. I've been talking to my husband about this because I need to find a hobby. <laughs> um, and uh, my wife tells me that too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I would say, you know, for me, I've wondered if there's adjacent industries or a different industry, and if so, like what would that be? Uh, but this is so in my blood. I haven't quite. <laughs> thought about that yet. Uh, I haven't come to a conclusion, uh, but I do 
um, love uh, the idea of stepping out more with um, the community. But actually, a prior mentor said to me, he quit his CEO job to go work in philanthropy. And he says, as it turns out, that requires skills and an understanding of the industry. So it came with the best intention, but didn't know how. So, you know, I, I said to my husband, maybe I need to open a fitness franchise um, because I do also love um, fitness. And, uh, you know, there's some things that are emerging like F45 I heard of, um, but, you know, something like that, because maybe that would be fun. But I, I don't know anything about that. So we'll see. Sarah, this has been a marvelous conversation. I will give you the last word. Anything for me before we sign off? No, I uh, just appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. You've spoken with so many incredible leaders um, that I was just uh, so excited to have the opportunity uh, to connect with you today. And and I can't wait to uh, talk to Antonio about you and, and uh, learn from him. So I uh, just thank you so much. Well, let's connect after that. I want to hear what he tells Absolutely. you in terms of advice. Maybe we'll get him and you on a podcast later. How's that would that? be so fun. That would be great. Thank you so much. Sarah, good luck in everything. Thanks so much. That was my conversation with Sarah Turvo. Three lessons from this one for your brand, business, and life. The first one is to never forget to evolve with your client base and stay forever relevant. That's such a fundamental leadership lesson. Sarah talked about that in all of her experiences has been critical to keeping iconic brands successful. Second takeaway, the importance of purpose in a brand turnaround and the importance of having conviction across the organization on your purpose. Sarah talked an awful lot about how they went to their customers to talk about their brand, to find their purpose and how inspiring it was and how powerful the purpose is in this brand restage. Third lesson, so important to have explicit goals, explicit strategies and clear communication when you are undergoing a brand reimagining. Sarah talked about how the leadership team is totally aligned on the goals, the strategies and the communications and how that is leading to success. And the last bonus takeaway, we've heard this on a number of our most recent podcasts, the importance of your team getting their ideas, acting on their ideas, for your team to feel empowered to bring ideas forward because management listens and will act on them. We heard this from Google. We heard this from Sarah. And we've heard it from many, many recent guests, the power of listening to your team. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.